and this is what had been after days, like f- at least four days of checking in every morning. Because, oh no. Wait, not on this. Not on this, not on this, not on this. Oh my God. Oh my God, the cat's throwing up. So the cat w- wanted to throw up on w- your on laptop. laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to convince beans to throw up on the floor over there. Uh, journalistic objectivity forbids me from helping you clean up the cat puke. Right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 27 Cop Baked In. Living with opioid addiction can be a struggle. Trapped in a cycle of opioid use, withdrawal, and cravings. Opioid use, withdrawal, and cravings. On Crackdown, we try to uncover the forces of control that are deployed against drug users. Sometimes that control comes at us in direct ways, like a cop slamming you into the pavement, or a social worker taking your kid away. It's violent and coercive and you can't miss it. But often, that control comes at us in a more insidious way. It can come at us in the form of a bad idea, planted in our heads by a doctor, parent, or social worker. Or it can come in the form of a molecule, a little cop baked right into our medication. Hey, how's it going? I feel like, yeah, I feel uh, just, just like buzzing with, with, because rushing and stuff like that. I woke up, we woke up a little bit late, we didn't set our alarms again, and we're both like getting ready to go out the door at like kind of the same time. What do you need for you know? today's mission? <laughs> do you have it? So I have water. All this right. This looks like coffee, but it's not. But I think getting coffee is good. Let's um, get coffee. Yeah. It's just past 8 in the morning, and I'm meeting Raya Jean outside her apartment on East Hastings Street. Raya's a 36-year-old writer and activist. She's a member of Crackdown's editorial board, and we've been friends for a couple of years. Today, she's got to go to the pharmacy. But first, coffee. Um, two coffees. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, thanks. Raya grew up in Thunder Bay. She moved to Vancouver in her 20s and started working in a library where she became a shop steward for her union. She was, overall, a pretty optimistic sort of person. She had a kind of earnest hope that maybe she could make the world a better place. She even told me she was a bit of a rule follower. But there was another side of Raya as well. You told me that in Thunder Bay, you used to have a nickname. Can you remind me of what the nickname is? <gasps> the nickname was Rage, because I would get really angry. But only certain people see it. Only certain people are able to see it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, known, I haven't known that part of you. No. Yeah, so, so I keep that really um, bottled up, I guess. So I had just broken up with somebody that I had been living with for five and a half years. 
And I did not, I was not handling it well. I didn't know about grief. I didn't know about loss. I didn't know that you would grieve a relationship or even what that was. So I was really drinking a lot in this period. And I would just get blackout, blackout. And it was bad. This period of Raya's life was dominated by loops. They first started when she was a teenager. Raya would realize she'd forgotten to say hi to someone earlier in the day. And she'd think, maybe they'd interpret that as a slight. Maybe they think I hate them. Raya's mind would reduce all that guilt and dread down to a concise little scene, like a movie stuck on repeat with no way to turn it off. Other times, the loops would come in the form of a dark mantra. She'd get a short phrase stuck in her head, almost like it was a song. Sometimes it would be, I'm fucked. And it would just repeat over and over and over. I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked. Or, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Raya said she'd sometimes feel compelled to say the phrase out loud, just to herself. But it didn't help. More often, everything would emotionally crescendo into what felt like an episode, a kind of physical attack. Later, Raya learned to call the loops intrusive thoughts. But at that point in her life, she had no language for them. She had no idea of why they were happening, and she had no one to talk to about them. It all felt pretty hopeless. And then I ran into some old pals from Thunder Bay. <laughs> um, and one of them was this girl who used to be in a, um, one of the local punk bands. And so I, I ended up hanging out with her. And then the next day, we were hungover. And we were watching something like, I don't know, Caligula on YouTube or something. And just having a hangover day. And I was going to order sushi. And then she brought out her kit. And she was like, do you want to do some heroin? <laughs> and I was like hungover, so I felt shitty, right? And I was also in a kind of a fuck it mode, right? Where I didn't care about anything. And so I was just like, yes, yes, I would. But how do we do it, right? And she was using needles. She was like, okay, I suggest that you, you know, snort a little bit. Never. What's it like? Warm, no pain, just drifting away. I just snorted a little bit and, and I threw up and it felt great. In like you think of like Sid and Nancy or whatever, and he's like retching over the toilet and she's rubbing his back. And I think it's a it's a really like it's a depiction that that looks painful to the viewer. And they're like, ooh, that sounds terrible. That looks terrible, right? And that's always what I felt when I watched those scenes, right? It's awesome. But actually, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. It's not like a nauseous throw up. It's different. I would say like it feels like silk coming up through my throat or something. I'm pulling a silk scarf. Like a magician. Out of my throat. Like a magician. All the colorful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember going home that night and being and feeling really wobbly still and just thinking like, okay, now I have this like secret thing that I know that I can do on a Sunday when I'm hungover. <laughs> they were appalled. I do hope so. But is it wise? using something like down will like mute the thoughts. I can do. It'll just mute them, right? 
and then you don't really worry about things and then you have all these ideas that are fabulous and then the next day you wake up and you're like what the fuck i'm never gonna do these things Anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know and that was what drinking was like for me for a long time too so i've always been sort of coping in, in those ways so it's just an easy way of coping with stuff i can't control For the next few months, Rai lived a kind of double life. She was a hyper-competent, buttoned-up shop steward by day and a secret dope fiend by night. It was the kind of dichotomy that reminded Raya of one of her favorite songs. You wrote this essay about Jane Bainter, who's the, the muse for Perry Farrell and Jane's Addiction. They wrote that song Jane says about her. And you feel a certain identification with her. The difference between you're going to work and trying to put on this facade and you're more, I think you called it salacious life at night or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and also sweating under the fluorescent lights in polyester seemed very unpleasant and it was something I was very familiar with. And it gave me a lot of comfort because at the time I wasn't out at all and I was working a white collar job. So who, can you just tell me who Jane is? <laughs> well, I think you said it. Um, she's the lyrical muse of, behind the song, Jane Says, by Jane's Addiction. And she was a roommate of Perry Farrell's in the Wilson house that they lived in. And um, she was the only woman, I think, too, at that time, with many other male roommates, musicians. Um, and she was the, also the only one that had like a nine to, a nine to five legit, legit job. Right? They were all kind of just like, you know, surfing and <laughs> playing music. So Raya carries on like Jane Bainter, sweating under the fluorescent office lights by day and secretly using down at night, more and more often. In 2016, Raya starts dating a guy named Randy. Randy and Raya had known each other from the punk scene back in Thunder Bay, where Randy was a singer for some of the local bands. At the party after the show, Raya was the bored girl in the corner. One night, Randy engaged her in conversation. She remembers that he was lively and interested in what she had to say. When they met up in Vancouver years later, Randy encouraged Raya to sing and play music. They started jamming, and this is what it sounded like. Soon, Ryan and Randy are living together in the basement of a house in East Vancouver. They do down together, but in pretty small quantities. This was just around the time that fentanyl was coming to dominate the drug supply in Vancouver. We would get these little packages and it would usually be uh, down, which was yellow or something, and um, soft, which is like cocaine, which is blue. The packages were? Yes. Yeah. I had a minimal awareness of the fentanyl situation that was going on. I knew that people were overdosing. I knew it was a thing, but for some reason I had not made the connection at all between the stuff that I was using could be fentanyl. I think I still believed that it was heroin at that point. I don't think it was. Um, I don't know if it ever was. 
Raya says it was usually Randy's job to meet the dealer because she wasn't comfortable in those kind of situations. But there was this one time when Randy was at the store when the dealer pulled up. Um, and so I just brought it into the bedroom. I was waiting for him to get back, and I des- I decided to do my normal amount, um, snorting it, which was just a tiny, like, tiny line of it. Um, just a tiny line. I don't even know, like, less than half a point or something. <laughs> and it just knocked me right out. Randy came home to find Raya unconscious in bed, but it just looked like she was asleep. And then he called the dealer and he was like, oh, sorry, uh, my girlfriend fell asleep, so you probably came and nobody was here. And he was like, no, I just met her. And then he was like, shit, oh shit. These were the days where we didn't have naloxone. We didn't know about it. We wouldn't have known to even run in the street and ask our neighbors, they wouldn't have it. He had to like drag my body from the bedroom to the bathroom, like my dead body to, because because he thought, you know, okay, put, put them in the shower. That's what you see, you know, in movies. And it didn't work. He had to drag my body out of the shower and like prop me up somehow. He couldn't find the phone. He couldn't find the phone. You know what I mean? It was just a mess. And he said, like, I was blue. Like, I was not breathing. I woke up with, like, being carried out on a stretcher by paramedics, you know, out of my house. Um, And so my first thought was like how embarrassed I was (laughs) that my roommates were going to see this, that they're going to have questions for me when I get back, that my neighbors are going to see this, um, that these nice ambulance people are going to think that I'm a terrible person, (laughs) you know, and, and treat me horribly. I was so petrified of being treated like shit. As I interview Raya, this part sticks out. I know what it feels like to worry about neighbors looking down on you or the nice ambulance people judging you as some kind of irresponsible dope fiend. Because I had tried detoxing at home. I had tried detoxing in a hotel downtown. I had (laughs) tried all these things that did not work. And, And I just couldn't stop. And so look on the internet, Vancouver Coastal Health website, and it's like, never detox alone. You know, here are some numbers you can call. And so I was like, okay, I have to do this properly. At first, Rai's plan doesn't go much further than just kick dope, stop using, entirely. But what about the intrusive thoughts? What would she do about the loops without the euphoria? Rai decides that's a problem for another time. The drug supply is just too dangerous. The shame is just too palpable. Sobriety has got to come first. Raya calls one of the numbers from the Vancouver Coastal Health website. She talks to a receptionist with a program called START, or Substance Use Treatment and Response Team. The receptionist seems really friendly over the phone and schedules Raya an appointment. It's, I think, on the third floor or something, so you get off the elevator and you go down the hall was sort of tucked away and it would say something like, um, 
I don't know if it's a detox, home detox, or with just withdrawal management or something like that. And so they have a nice painting on the wall. And they have actually like two white lounge chairs. And you're like, you can sit anywhere you want. But um, those lounge chairs are quite comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you sit? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I sat in the lounge chair. That's right. You told me you were a bit of a rule follower, so you would sit in the lounge chair, right? Yeah, I would, yeah. And also I wanted to because they look nice. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> After waiting for a while, Raya sees a nurse. She's expecting the third degree, some kind of big lecture about her drug use. But she doesn't get one. Instead, the nurse has a proposal. She explained to me that, okay, well, like, I don't think we can help you unless you're going to go on the medication, the Suboxone, because that's what we do here. So I don't know what we would be doing with you if we didn't give you that. Suboxone is the brand name for a medication prescribed to treat opioid use disorder. It was first developed in the 1960s as a painkiller meant to compete with codeine. But when scientists tested the drug on morphine-dependent monkeys, they discovered it had a unique effect. And that meant it might be more profitable as an addiction treatment medication instead. The primary active ingredient in Suboxone is buprenorphine. This acts as a blocker to other opioids. And so she patiently, very patiently and sweetly, syrupy, um, indulged all of my questions, even drew some little diagrams for me, you know, and then said, okay. what, what little diagrams? <laughs> well, she drew what the happens to the receptors. So the receptors are open and they all get closed by the suboxone, by the oh, So you're, you're, um, you're gesturing to me like a, a, a nice little um, helpful person closing a rabbit hutch is what it looked like. Yeah, you were. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it just closes them and it seals them as long as you take it every day. And that's what happens. Bingo, bango. And you can't use because the buprenorphine is covering these little rabbit holes. Isn't that cool? Ask your doctor for more information about Suboxone because opioid addiction is not something you should have to go through alone. The nurse explains to Raya that once your opioid receptors are covered by Suboxone, you can't really build a high. If you try to take more Suboxone, the feeling won't really increase. If you try to take some other kind of opioid, like heroin or methadone, same deal. You can't build it up. You can't get high. If you try to get creative and shoot Suboxone, then you're in for a world of hurt because Suboxone has naloxone in it, and that shit is gonna drain your system of opioids all at once. That's called a precipitated withdrawal, and it's vicious. All of this made Suboxone a lot different from methadone. Many methadone users like me, well, we chip. We don't always stick strictly to just the methadone. And that means we top up our prescribed dose with illegal opioids. It's a lot harder, though not impossible, to do that on Suboxone. Raya says that this was all advertised to her as one of the main benefits of this stuff. That she'd have less craving and withdrawal symptoms, and less euphoria too. <laughs> That's what they said. Some people will say that at the beginning they have this euphoria feeling, but I think it's more just the absence of sickness. 
But whatever it is, it will go away. Don't worry. Okay, I'm not worrying. You know, it's like as if my, my biggest fear is that my medicine would actually make me feel good for an extended period of time. So I had to first have a consultation with the nurse, then with the doctor. The nurse, I remember, made a very big deal about this doctor saying like, oh, you're lucky because this doctor's in today, you know, kind of in a salacious way. And it was like, oh, we all kind of have crushes on him. He, 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 right? So what was he like? He was very assertive and I think and domineering kind of. He said, look, if you don't cut this out, if you don't cut this out, you are going to end up on the downtown east side. You know, like, because he had a little bit of an, uh, some sort of European accent. Right. Raya goes back home and she tells Randy about the visit with Start. But Randy seemed unconvinced. He'd been on methadone for a long time, and he was worried that any kind of medication-based treatment was the wrong way for Raya to go. He was like, Raya, you know, you see my life. I have to go to the pharmacy every day. I have been to the pharmacy every day for like nine years or something, you know, since he moved to BC because he got all his carries taken away and he had to start all over again. He said, we should just maybe try something else. Um, just try the hotel thing again or whatever. And I was like, but that's not working, yeah. you know? And so, Raya decides to go back to the clinic and give Suboxone a try. She's skeptical. She feels they've overpromised Suboxone as a kind of magical pill. And she's got Randy's warning ringing in her ears. Medication isn't gonna be an easy path. But Raya says she also wants something to believe in. And she hopes Suboxone will live up to all the hype. Doctors say every rehab center in the country should be sending addicts home with a prescription for Suboxone and a relapse prevention plan. There's something about the opioid addicted brain uh, that your brain chemistry changes and it's very difficult to stay uh, abstinent and safe without being on long-term medication. Suboxone has a much better safety profile compared to methadone. Nolan says Suboxone is not even in the same league as methadone because it's hard to abuse. It was something that people felt very comfortable in pushing because of its safety profile, because of its evidence base. In the case of youth, because they couldn't really get high on it. This is Dania Fast, a professor at the University of British Columbia's Department of Medicine and one of Crackdown's science advisors. Dania was leading research projects on young people who used drugs when the overdose crisis was declared. Back in 2016, Dania says it was clear that Suboxone was becoming more and more easily available to young people. Studies had shown that people were less likely to overdose from taking too much Suboxone as compared to other kinds of opioids. But I think the doctors and politicians felt comfortable with Suboxone for another reason as well. Because it stole our euphoria. In my experience, lots of doctors have a completely old school and intolerant view of drug use. They're just like, you ain't going to get high off anything I prescribed. And lots of politicians feel the same way. By 2017, the big Suboxone push was well underway. New prescribing guidelines made Suboxone the first-line treatment. 
Daniel watched as health policymakers scaled up access to Suboxone in treatment centers and hospitals. Outreach workers and nurse practitioners promoted it to youth. And Daniel says many of the kids in her cohort felt like they were being offered the same kind of bargain as Raya. Take Suboxone, give up euphoria, and you'll get back something a lot more meaningful. A life with better housing. It was a life with better relationships. It was a life with um, a job or a better job, a life in which they were a better parent potentially or could, you know, regain custody or be a part of their child's life. And young people got swept up in that sort of churn of excitement and of optimism. Did you believe the hype? That's a good question. Uh no, I don't think I believe the hype, but I will say that I I certainly wanted to be invested in that biomedical hope, even though I think at the point when I was doing this research, I already had a sense that any biomedical solution would not be able to address the sort of situations um, that led young people to, to use drugs in the first place. Before you take your first two milligram pill or whatever, they say, Raya, are you ready to start? They do, they say that. And it's like, oh, because it's the start program, right? Like, are you ready to start? So fucking cool. I know. And then what happens? Do they watch you or what? No, they leave you alone in the room to just, you know, process it. And then they come back about 25 minutes later or something. How did you do? And what did it feel like? Fine. I got to 12. And I was fine. Actually, I was like, zing. Like, I was like, whoa, like, I feel great, you know? And, and then they were like, we can stop now, you know, because you, your receptors are sufficiently covered. Raya keeps taking Suboxone. And just like the nurse promised, the initial buzz fades. And then she's left with a kind of flat line. Not getting high, but not getting dope sick either. Raya is able to stop using down almost entirely. But it's clear right from the start that Suboxone is only going to take her so far. She's still got intrusive thoughts and she still craves dope. Changing that stuff was gonna take a deeper, more introspective kind of fix. And so, Raya starts doing Pilates, taking long walks and drinking more water. She moves into a sober living facility where she can focus on her recovery 24 seven. She becomes a regular at multiple outpatient programs. Raya thought of it like a job. She was going to gradually build a new life with new habits and new friends. With Suboxone, I would hear these kinds of narratives again and again. You know, maybe with Suboxone, I have that chance to be a better father. Now that I'm on Suboxone, I'm handing out my resume, um, you know, just for shitty retail jobs, but I'm handing out my resume and I'm going back to school. Young people were connecting Suboxone to that sort of sense of momentum, that sense of promise in a way that they had never done with methadone, at least to me. Hey, you guys, can I, can I suggest that Raya chairs the meeting? Like, can we do speakers list and all that shit? Because we've, we've run our meetings for the last six weeks right off the rails. I first met Raya back in 2019. She saw a poster that said Methadone Meeting, the BC Association of People on Opioid Maintenance, or BCAPOM, which I was a member of, put those posters up all over the neighborhood. And Raya decided to go check it out. But the 
but the people yeah, at the bottom, but the people in the bottom are the ones that need to design it, right? So hang on. BCA Palm had a lot to fight for at this time. We wanted the old methadone back instead of this newer shit called methadose. We were fighting for better classes of prescribed alternatives to the lethal street supply. But our members were dying. We were grieving, traumatized, and numb. Our meetings got sloppy. We didn't always do a good job of sticking to the agenda. But Raya was a lightning bolt in a jean jacket. Can I do a speakers list, Laura? Yes. So that was one of my... The board, you know, meets to organize the campaigns and the activity of the group and stuff. But we uh, have, like, not really got a good filing system, right? Like, there's spiral-bound notebooks with minutes in it going back years. But you're like, okay, we're getting this on Google Drive. We're having agendas. We're having minutes. We're doing this properly. We're getting our shit together. I felt like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this unless, unless I can find a way to make this feel more efficient for me, right? Um, <laughs> you know? Which you did. I mean, yeah. the, when you were doing those things, uh, like managing the email and the agendas and the minutes and all that stuff, the group was much more efficient. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I, I did feel good about that. Raya gave the group something really important, and I like to think that we gave her something important too. Being together, we all get to see that we're not pariahs. We get to drop all the shame, secrecy, and isolation. BCA Palm rejects the mainstream idea that drugs are bad, the idea that only bad people want to get high, and that good people want to get well through abstinence or medications like Suboxone. Fuck that. For us, being wired isn't the problem. It's the cops and the deadly drug supply. It's the doctors and the government that keep trying to change us instead of changing their own policies. That's the kind of vibe our meetings had, and I could tell it was resonating with Raya. around something that we believe in, right? I don't have to have the secret because everybody else has it as well. And so then it ceases to become a secret and like, that's amazing. Like meeting Laura and Tracy Morrison and Dean Wilson yeah. is who showed me how to talk about it. Cause I was secretive and ashamed about it for most of my life. Yeah. And I just was like, I hate having the secret that people could use against me that I can't even look at directly. I'm divided in myself. Like, yeah. like I never wanted to think of myself, oh my God, I'm, a, I'm just a drug fiend. I'm just a heroin user. I'm just a junkie, but well, I am. So <laughs> I got to make friends with that part of myself, you know? At least from the outside, it looked like things were going pretty good for Raya. She had this new group of friends and a real purpose. Suboxone seemed to be working okay. Most of us in the group had never been on it, so we were really curious. What was it like? One thing was clear. People on Suboxone seemed to be put on this kind of pedestal by the health system. 
Yes, box on privilege. So that means that you get special privileges that other OAT consumers do not get. So like people on methadone, um, it's harder for them to get carries. So take home doses so that they can keep it in their fridge or whatever and take it themselves like you would any other medication. Suboxone comes in a pill form. Doctors regard it as safer or safest. And so you get, you get take-homes very easily. And it was more than just the carries. Raya got the impression the doctors considered her to be kind of a Suboxone person. Someone who could pull her life together without needing to get high. You're a Suboxone person. <laughs> you know? You know uh, you're not a methadone person. You're, you're not a Cadian person. You're a Suboxone person. Raya resented the implication about her friends on methadone, that we were less likely to pull ourselves together than Suboxone people, especially because, as experts like Dr. Helena Hansen have pointed out, in many places, Suboxone was more aggressively marketed towards white people than people of color. But Raya also confessed, if she was being totally honest, there was a part of her that liked being thought of as a Suboxone person. I have been told by people when I have questioned, oh, maybe I should change to Cadian or something. And I've been told by a nurse practitioner, um, no, 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 I think you should give Suboxone another chance because it's just better. Raya, the Suboxone person, someone who doesn't need to get high. That was a hopeful image to try and hold on to, but the monotonous daily grind of recovery made it harder and harder to hold on to, especially because intrusive thoughts weren't going away and neither were the cravings. Everybody says that you can't really do down when you're taking Suboxone, but like I did a Google search and I was looking at forums, which, you know, because who else am I going to ask about this? So you researched how do you do down on Suboxone? <laughs> on Suboxone. So I, I in your Google search history. <laughs> yeah. And so I get a range of responses and some of them are saying that, yes, no, you cannot do it. You will go into to immediate precipitated withdrawal. And then there's another commenter being like, that's bullshit, you know? Um, no, you can totally do it. You just do this, right? It started with one small slip. Then Raya's back on the Suboxone. Then there's another slip and another. Each time Raya feels a palpable sense of guilt and redoubles her conviction that this time she'll make Suboxone work. But her tolerance for opioids was going up, and the Suboxone didn't just hold her the same way. Eventually, Rye's taking Suboxone every morning and topping up with Down every night. Sometimes this feels great. Other times, it causes a storm of sickness and anxiety. We started to call this the cop-baked-in effect. The drug is sort of fighting the, the fentanyl for your receptors, right? The cop is fighting the evil drug for your receptors. And I can feel that fight. My body starts to feel that fight. What does it feel like? It feels like like the most horrible anxiety attack that you can imagine. Like, it's like my, my body starts to sweat. It's like my face is completely wet. Um, I get that prickly, kind of tingly feeling all over my body. It's almost like it's like early withdrawal, kind of, but it comes on so suddenly. And it's, and it's just this feeling of like dread and doom. And your body feels like it's in resistance to something, but like you really just want to relax. I really just want to relax and I can't. And even if I try to take more, um, you know, smoke more fentanyl off a of foil, for, for example, that doesn't seem to make it go away. 
So you have to wait for the cop to go off duty. Yeah, or lose. Lose the fight? And <laughs> lose the fight, yeah. <laughs> Riot decides she needs to figure out what's going on. She uses a period tracking app to methodically chart her drug use. She notes when Suboxone works. She notes when the down feels good. And she notes when the cop kicks in. She says it felt like solving a math problem. But eventually, the answer becomes clear. Raya can use down and Suboxone at the same time for about three days. After that, the cop does its thing, knocking the opioids off her receptors. Raya uses this information to build a new kind of rhythm, one where she uses Suboxone every day and uses down only when necessary, and only when it will help. She's not sure this is going to work, but it's not like she's given up. She still wants to kick. She still wants to be that Suboxone person. And in the meantime, the app helps make sure she can pass the doctor's piss tests. I would always know, okay... I have to stop using for at least nine days before I see him, and then I'll be good. And then he won't take away my carries, and I won't be in trouble. I think even worse than getting my carries taken away was the concept that he would be angry at me, disappointed in me, like, that I would be in trouble. And the staff would be, like, upset with me, too. Around this time, COVID-19 hits. And it totally fucks up the organizing we were doing at BCA Palm and Vandu. Some meetings tried to bump along over Zoom, but it wasn't the same as before. Good evening, I'm Adrian Arsenault. And I'm Andrew Chang. Tonight, how long can these extraordinary measures to stop the coronavirus last? We've heard anything from weeks to months. From travel bans to closures, is this the new reality? Canada on a COVID threshold. As the pandemic wore on, it got hard to find any dope without benzos in it. Benzodiazepines had been creeping into the drug supply since 2018, and now it was really coming to dominate. The combination of benzo-like substances, such as edizolam and fentanyl, can easily overdose you. Or you might just black out for hours. You forget whole days, even weeks. Non-fatal overdoses can last hours instead of just a few minutes. At Vandu, people were forgetting what the meeting topics were, or blanking on decisions we'd made last time. Everyone was talking over each other. Sometimes a person would just wander away from the meeting. We were descending into chaos. In early August, I was at a BCA Palm meeting, and Raya was supposed to be there too. But she didn't show. I texted her, and after a few hours, she responded. Randy's passed out on the bedroom floor, she texted. I can't wake him, and his body is heavy and stiff. I called immediately and got no response, so I rushed over. Hey, Raya, it's Garth. Oh, hey. Um, do you want to come up? Yeah, sure. Is it okay if I... Randy, I'm just going to pull your knee up here, man. I'm sorry. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I don't want you to be able to roll over on your back. It looks, looks like you can't, so... How long does it usually take for... How long, when, when did he do the hit? 
What time is it now? It's fucking four. Five. Yeah. Uh, well, if he's breathing, that's all right. But it's like, that's what benzo dope is. It's just that long fucking wet blanket of being unconscious, you know? Eventually, Randy came too, and he was okay, but things felt really grim. Raya says Suboxone is now making her feel sick regularly. Most of the time, she decides to just power through. She'll skip whatever Zoom meetings are scheduled that day and just try to grind it out. When that doesn't work, she uses Benzodope. At one point, it causes her to black out, just like with Randy. She wakes up and has no idea what happened or how long she's been out. Raya keeps taking Suboxone, but now she's soured on the stuff. She no longer sees how it's going to help her pull her life together. And it turns out she wasn't alone. You know, what I saw among young people was going on and off it without ever getting anywhere. And they really talked about it in those terms. This isn't getting me anywhere. It's not getting me high. I'm not getting any sense of euphoria. And I'm not getting anywhere else. So do I stay on this? And many, many young people made the decision you know, that they would not stay on it and that they would return to um, using illicit opioids and, and other substances. The big Suboxone push has been a real disappointment here in BC. A research team led by Bowdoin Nosek found that retention rates after one year were as low as 6%. Some of Dania's cohort actually became so disillusioned with Suboxone that they swore they'd never try any replacement therapy again. And this really undercuts the idea that Suboxone is safe. Because it's not safe if you're not on it. To me, this all comes back to euphoria. Doctors and policymakers like to talk about drug-related harms. But they get a lot less comfortable when euphoria comes up. The truth is, most of us take drugs because they feel good. Euphoria can be an escape from trauma or physical pain. It can be an escape from crushing boredom or alienation or it can be just a fun thing to do on the weekend. I don't think we're going to get out of the overdose crisis until doctors and policymakers face up to this. So you guys have been like grinding it out the last few days, trying not to use, right? Yeah. Do you think this is the one that sticks? No. No, I don't. You're hearing my final interview with Raya. We've been working on this episode for months. The whole time, I tried my best not to talk shit about Suboxone to her. Because I don't think it was my place. And I didn't want to crush her hope. But now it was pretty clear. This stuff just wasn't working for her. And so I decided to ask gently, why not try something else? It has been suggested to me that I switch to methadone you know, as I was telling you. And I have even thought like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. But then what gives me pause is like, okay, but what kind of privileges am I going to lose? You know, maybe I don't know any other ways. And maybe there aren't other ways. There, there actually isn't a solution that exists to my problem, you know? And so that's why I'm coping in this way. Um, that's what I've kind of more recently discovered is that actually these solutions don't exist, you know? When you said that your eyes kind of lit up and your face was like big, like, like this is, 
this sounds so dark, but it's sort of almost liberating to know that the solution doesn't exist out there. And it's not just you. It's that out there, this illusion out there, there's just lots of help and lots of solutions. If only we could get out of our own way to get them. It's bullshit, right? Yeah. 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 Because we need support. It feels to me like something's changing in the room. Like Raya's processing something, maybe for the first time, and she's building up this righteous anger. Suboxone person is, I guess, somebody who who is capable of perfection because they're capable of complete abstinence because really the drug is designed, you're, you're not supposed to be using, you're not supposed to mess, mess with it, right? It really, you are supposed to remain abstinent, right? And get on with your life and, and go back to work and be a contributing member of the capitalist thing. And, and that's, I guess, how I appear to some people. But like, what if, what if that's not right, you know? And what if I don't even believe that bullshit? Like, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> People get high because of a reason, whatever the, whatever the reason is, right? And so you can't just take it away from them. That's not going to work. So if, if a drug is blocking, blocking me from getting my needs met, then that means I'm not getting my needs met. I just don't believe that you can deprive somebody of their coping mechanism plus their family connections plus any social connections that they have and that they are going to get better. That's what causes most of the trouble, right? It's, it's other people designing drugs for us, but really they're designing them for themselves and what they feel comfortable with, right? And that's never going to work. So stop trying to do that. It doesn't work. You know, like, and if, and if you do do that, then you got to be honest with people about the fact that, okay, look, this is a drug designed for people that are going to be perfectly abstinent. Are you that person? You know, but they, no. they don't say that. No. <laughs> they don't say that. Why not? That's what they believe. They're trying to trick us or something. Thanks for, thanks for this. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Three days after our last interview, Raya texts me. She's asked her doctor to switch her over to methadone. She tells me it was such a relief to give up on the Suboxone hype. And I was relieved too. Don't get me wrong, subs works for some people, and it's better than nothing, and in many places, you can't even get that. It's just that, well, don't believe the hype. If it ain't working, maybe it's not you that's the problem. Plus, Suboxone, and Methadone for that matter, might not be strong enough anymore. They might not be up to substituting for the shit that's out there now, fentanyl and benzodope. To stay alive, we need more agency in all of this. We need to be able to choose what meds we get and how we take them. I think Raya's going to have a better shot on methadone because it's not going to fight her receptors in the same way Suboxone did. Methadone will allow Raya to get high when she needs to, and that could make all of the difference. But I know this is a start of a whole new struggle, and it's going to be hard. 
Raya's gonna have to go to that pharmacy every day and drink her methadone under the watchful eye of staff. She's gonna have endless urine analysis tests and she's gonna risk getting her dose reduced or even cut off. But right now, Raya's hopeful. So that's how I'll feel too. Just after taking her first dose of methadone, Raya texted me, I can't believe how much better I feel and I've been getting so many of my to-do list items done. I got out of bed early. I can do stuff again like write and make toast and not feel like I'm dragging bowling balls around. And she ended the text with a little smiley face. Crackdown is produced on Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil territories. If you like what we do, please consider donating at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. But we're always happy to cuff you a few episodes. I want to send out a special thanks also to Alex Betzos. Alex continually provides Crackdown with expertise in drug policy and helps support the editorial board. Alex B. just launched a podcast of his own called Drug Futurisms. It's about imagining future worlds without prohibition. Check it out. Thanks also to Evan Wood and Keith Ahmed for talking to me about the background on how Suboxone came to British Columbia. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Fess, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace, Dave Murray and Sharice Kiwatton. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Raya Jean, Sam Fenn, Alex DeBoer, Lisa Hale, Dania Fast, Ryan McNeil, and me, Garth Mullins. Sound design by Alex Kim. Original score was written and performed by James Ash, Sam Fenn, and me. Stay safe. Keep sexy.